0: After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, yet know this, The kingdom of God has come near." Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. I told you last Sunday that in the ninth chapter of Luke's Gospel, he says. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Yet John, uh, Luke does not tell you that he's arrived until chapter 19. So you have ten long chapters that supposedly are written about that journey to Jerusalem, even though it took only a few days. Event after event, teaching after teaching, Luke feels so very important to you and me. Let's take a look at today. Jesus then told disciples to become apostles. Now, the word can refer to the same persons, but entirely different function. The word disciple means learner. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to read about two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha scurrying around, trying to get dinner ready. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening like a Disciple, one who learns. Apostle comes from the Greek word apostello, which means to be sent out. So we learn and then we are sent out. These have come to learn, and now Jesus sends them on ahead to prepare the way village by village. This is what he tells them. Number one, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Anyone who's ever farmed, even if you've had just a garden, you know that when things are ripe, they're ripe. Jesus told a story about the grapes getting ripe and a farmer going to the marketplace and hiring laborers to come and pick. By midday, he was more frantic. He came and hired more. By late afternoon, even more frantic, came and hired even more to come and pick grapes. When they're ripe, they're ripe. When I used to help my grandmother on her little farm, she would say to me, make haste, boy. I can almost hear her now. Make haste, boy. We have to hurry. It's time to pick. It's time to pick. They're ripe. They're ripe. They're ripe. She had fig trees and they all seemed to get ripe at the same time. She had peas and they all needed picking at the same time. All the tomatoes seemed to get ripe at the same time. Plentiful. Laborers, Few. When I was appointed to two little country churches at 18 years of age, I've told you three weeks later, I had my first funeral. Now, the bigger of my two churches was located about equidistant between Shreveport, Louisiana, Carthage, Texas, my home, and Marshall, Texas, about 20 miles to each one. So this family, planning a funeral, was using a funeral home in Marshall, I had met a Methodist preacher over there. Dr. Harold Fagan was at the First Methodist Church of Marshall. I didn't know if I was supposed to walk in front of the casket, behind the casket. He became a friend and a helper. I even asked him a couple of years later if he would come and do the little revival at our church. He said, Why, of course. And he drove out from Marshall four nights to preach to my people. He had a great passion for the gospel. That first Sunday afternoon lady asked me, Do you have a list of people that you've been trying to get to make a decision and you haven't been successful? Take me to see them. Let me have a try. He loved it. I took him one person after another. He'd sit in the living room with them and talk about what it meant to make a commitment to confess one's sins to God in Christ, receive forgiveness, be baptized. Well, a few years later, he was made a district superintendent. Now, I'd never known anyone quite so well who had become a district superintendent. I didn't see him for a whole year, but at annual conference that next year, I ran into him. We sat down together in the coffee shop at First Methodist Church there, and I asked, well, how was it a whole year of being a district superintendent? He said, I have 48 churches. He was at the Nacogdoches District. I have 48 churches. I resolved to hear all 48 of my preachers this first year. Now, I didn't tell them where I was going to be next. So, as I went church by church, one over north, one south, one east, one west, always surprising, I discovered the word had gotten out, I was moving around, and I could see real evidence of work on the sermon. But I've heard all 48 of them now, and only three of them walked into the pulpit as if got something important to tell you this morning. There's something i got to tell you this morning. I want 45 more preachers who walk into their pulpits, he said, with something important to tell. All these years, I've never forgotten it. I'm working on a sermon. I'm praying, oh God, don't ever let me walk into a pulpit without believing with all my heart got something important to tell you today number two what you're supposed to tell them Jesus said is the kingdom of God has come near dr. Brendan Scott when he gave our Barton Clinton Gordy series said I've studied the parables of Jesus for more than 40 years it's been my specialty he's a Roman Catholic a Roman Catholic layperson scholar academician holds a distinguished chair at Phillips Theological Seminary He said, more than 40 years, I've studied the parables of Jesus. I am convinced that every story he told was about the kingdom of God. Every one of them. So the last book Dr. Scott has written is called Reimagining the World. What would the world look like if truly the kingdom of God came on earth as it is in heaven? What would that look like? How would we behave if we really knew ourselves living in the kingdom of God? This important message, the kingdom is near, the kingdom is near. God is visiting us in this flesh and blood person, Jesus of Nazareth. You remember when uh, Dr. William Willimon came to give our series uh, some years ago. Now, he was dean of the chapel at Duke Divinity School and uh, taught uh, in the school of theology there. Now, Dr. Willimon grew up in North Carolina. He pastored smaller churches, gradually getting a little bigger, a little bigger, and suddenly he was invited to be the dean of the chapel at Duke. Duke's one of our really great United Methodist universities. Our seminary is one of the best in the world. Our medical school there, outstanding. It really is a great place, and he was thrilled to be named to that position. He did that job well wrote books, sold well, and then 12 years ago decided he wanted to be a bishop. He ran hard, didn't get elected, so he kept working at Duke. Four years later, he ran hard again, got elected. They sent him to Alabama. He's been bishop in Alabama for eight years, and he announced three months ago, I'm going back to Duke. Brenda Reed last Monday morning said, "'Saw something on the Internet "'I thought you might like to have. "'It's Bishop Williman's last sermon "'to the preachers and laity of Alabama. "'I said I would love to, and at noon I read it.'" And basically what he said was, "'I'm going back to Duke "'cause I've never done anything "'that I love so much as preaching. "'I always walk into the pulpit "'with trembling knees.'" but I believe it's the most important thing I do. That a struggle all week with some important part of God's Word and I dare to stand up on Sunday morning and try to explain God's Word to people that I hope the Holy Spirit will convince is absolutely true. The kingdom of God has come near. Number three, But there will be some who will reject you, Jesus said. Already they've experienced rejection. Last Sunday we read about the first time they went into a little Samaritan village, said, Please, could we have supper here, place to sleep? No, go on. We don't want you here. It's every minister's biggest fear. What if nobody comes? My first two little churches, I counted noses every Sunday. I would drive 17 miles to preach to the smaller one. Sometimes I had 12, sometimes 13. If I had 16, that was a big day. Then I'd drive 17 miles back to the bigger church. I'd count noses. As we were going through the service, I'd count 48, 51, 53. Really big day, 56. When I was at the Memorial Drive Church in Houston, I'd been there two years. When I was appointed there by Bishop Paul Martin, I'd already completed seven years of college, fully ordained at 24 years of age. I was ringing doorbells. We took in 1,324 members in two years. And Bishop Paul Martin asked Dr. Charles Allen, if he'd like to have me come and be a Sunday night preacher. Charles Allen didn't know me from anybody but he and Ms. Allen took Gail and me to dinner that very night and he said I don't know if you can preach or not but I can put you up to bat I can't hit the ball for you but I can put you up to bat I have more invitations than I can fill I can have you in a Rotary Club Lions Club Kiwanis Club Business Professional Women five days a week I can put you up to bat, and then we'll see how many people will drive all the way downtown Houston on a Sunday night to hear you preach. Said he'd give me a three hundred dollar raise if I'd come. Not three hundred a week. Not three hundred a month. Three hundred a year. I said I'll take that. We'd love to do that. And I preached in that great church every Sunday night for the next seven years. But I never drove downtown that I didn't worry about how few might come. How many would drive all the way downtown? Not everybody says yes. Some people say no. Some people don't care. So it's always a fear. Always a fear of rejection. Rejection. Number four. Even when they reject you, know that the kingdom of God has come near. That's we said it. That's what you preach, and even if they reject, you know in your heart the kingdom of God has come near. So in your successes, do not rejoice, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of heaven. Gail and I watched a program the other night on OETA a very fine two-hour program about a small town in England. It began by saying that if you want to study English history, many people just study who was king and who was queen next. That's not the way to study, they said. What happened to this little village for 2,000 years? And carefully, our archaeologists came in and they started digging little trenches and spots here and there down, down, down to the Roman occupation 2,000 years ago trying to reconstruct what happened at this little town. You know what? They kept records. All those years they kept records. Who lived there? Whether they had a pig or two cows. Records. They wrote them. In my study this week, it said, in ancient towns they had a record of the citizens who belonged, the citizens who belonged, Jesus said, how would you like your name in the book in heaven? Dr. Fred Craddock, in his preaching, often takes a word. And he says that word in one illustration. He says that word in the next illustration. In one of his sermons, he says, There was a funeral in Georgia. When the funeral was over, the daughter of the deceased said to her mother, Now, Mama, Daddy's gone. I live in California. You need to move to California where I can help look after you. And the mother said, But this is my place. This is my place. He said, One day I was trying to catch a trout in a stream in North Georgia. Kept getting my hook in a tree. I finally decided to quit. I'm walking to my car. When I see a car pull down on the banks of the creek, a couple got out, went around to the trunk, got them a couple of folding chairs, and set them down right in front of their car. I got a little closer and I said, How y'all doing? We're fine. You going fishing? Nope. What you gonna do? Have a picnic? Nope. What you gonna do? This is our place. I've been a Methodist preacher 45 years, the man said. We've lived in parsonages for 45 years. I'm two years from retirement. We bought these two acres. This is going to be our place. He said, one time students from Candler School of Theology, Emory University, and some of the faculty members participated with Habitat for Humanity. They built a house. That great day came when they turned over the keys to the new owners. A young mother, three little girls. Dr. Craddock said, when they had the dedicatory prayer, handed them the key, the doors were open. These three little girls went running through that house. He said, adults were trying to greet the mother, hug her neck, shake her hand. But I heard one of these little girls keep saying, Mama, is this our place? Mama, is this our place? Finally, she squatted down, looked her right in the eye, and said, "'This is our place.'" And then he said, "'When I was a seminary student at Vanderbilt, "'I got to know a Jewish rabbi who taught there, Rabbi Silberman. "'One day I said, "'I know why you don't call the name of God, "'that you Jews believe if you call it too many times, "'it loses its great significance.'" So I've heard you call God the Eternal One, the Everlasting One. What's your favorite name for God? And the rabbi said, Remember that our ancestors were nomads. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, they were nomads. They went where they could find green grass and fresh water. Then they packed up their tents and moved to another place where there was green grass and Fresh water, And so they were always looking for their place. But finally, there's a scripture in our book, he said, that says, I am the place. And Jesus said, how would you like a place at God's place?